Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to another mini-sode. Hey everyone, and welcome to another mini-sode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another mini-sode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, hoping to stay out of more time loops, is my best friend and co-host Aaron. They also call me the Angel of Seattle. <laughs> and what a fitting name it is, sir. Or Full Metal. <laughs> Bleep! Well, <laughs> are you spray-painted on a bus somewhere in Seattle? Or are you, uh... you know, I will have arrived when I am spray-painted on a bus in Seattle. If you're not spray-painted on a bus, by the time I get there in January, I'm going to be really disappointed. We'll just do it ourselves. Yeah, there we go. Let's <laughs> let's just tag some public transportation. I like it. I like it. Well, it's donor pick time. And while it is a tad belated, uh, it didn't discourage us from getting excited to talk about this one. If you haven't already guessed, we are discussing the 2014 action film Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat or Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, <sighs> whatever. Um, So... From this point on, it'll be a spoilerific discussion, as you always know. So just be warned, watch the movie, come back, enjoy the conversation. Let's get right into it. One word takeaways, Aaron, why don't you take it? All right, man. Well, I agree with you 100% that I'm so glad our listeners chose this film. We were probably going to cover it anyway in September. We haven't really teased that out much yet, but uh, regardless, they got to choose it. And so they have some skin in the game. My one more takeaway this time around, um, and and really every time I've watched this film, is Resolute. And I'll get into that in a second, but you forgot a title, Patrick, even though you were listing off a couple of them. The original story is actually called All You Need Is Kill, which honestly makes about as much sense as most time travel paradoxes in the movies like this one. (laughs) Um, I read the Japanese light novel in a single day back in May of 2014. When I found out it existed, the next day I immediately listened to the audiobook in full. It's a short story, so don't think I did anything crazy. About four hours. And then two weeks later, the movie came out and I was ready. So I fell in love with the story hard and fast. And my one more takeaway is resolute because for all the incredible entertainment value that I get with this film, and there is a ton, there are Lots of moments where I want to stand up and cheer, where I'm laughing out loud. I really, really enjoy the experience of watching this over and over. But I always find myself feeling very reflective on the sacrifice that Cage has to make. And not the sacrifice he makes by potentially giving his life at the end, but the sacrifice that he makes in living this day over and over and over and dealing with the monotony and the repetitive death. I think about something like Groundhog Day, and there is just a difference to this story because there is a goal to be achieved. And that's what makes it really powerful to me to see him have such a strong resolve where he hardly wavers. He's very, very dedicated. He gets frustrated, but he just keeps going. And we don't know how many times. Film doesn't tell us how many times he's died, but it is a lot. And so... It's pretty impressive to me, and that's what makes him a hero, not because of a special power um, or you know, outside of having the time travel power. And He's not a superhero. Uh, he's just a regular guy who teaches himself what he has to know and is completely dedicated to the task at hand, and that's what gets him to the end. And so that, that's what I pick up on the most, so resolute. Well, I'm, I like everything that you said in your one-word takeaway because I agree with pretty much all of it. It reminds me of a thought that I had with this performance of Tom Cruise. I feel like we've just sort of been in cruise mode, literally and figuratively, all throughout July because of the fallout and because of all the cruise-related things that we've been doing with with Mission Impossible specifically. I think that what this movie does that I don't see a lot in Tom Cruise performances is it starts him out as weak. It starts him out as a character who does not have... Um, any kind of charisma. He's insecure. I mean, from the very beginning, 
he confesses, I'm just here for PR. I am not the guy that you want on the front lines. And as I was, I, I really was wrestling with my one word takeaway because I was trying to figure out how I felt about this viewing of Edge of Tomorrow. I loved it. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But the word that I pulled away was uh, was forward. And this comes from my recent short film making experience and particularly its subject matter. It makes me really appreciative of the way in which this story with all of its resets still feels like it moves forward as that bigger narrative. I love the fact that we get to play with what if scenarios reset when things go wrong, which reminds me a lot of when I get frustrated with a video game growing up, I'd be like, oh, what? no, I didn't, I didn't die. No, I just have, there's a glitch there, whatever. And yet the story continues to get us to that logical ending. Like you mentioned, where cage has something to fight for. He's got something to push himself forward. Having that knowledge of those resets obviously is the big, if he, if he had some kind of power, it would be, knowledge because he has the he has that knowledge to go forward and to understand what he has to do next by learning from his previous deaths experience and i really be i really enjoyed being on the journey with him and rita and the time living element in the in the film really makes this must see rewatchable one for me because you start picking up on little things here and there but from a filmmaking standpoint specifically i i just i can imagine how difficult it is to have to keep up with all that <laughs> because you're like, okay, what has he done here? Okay. He has to do that. And okay, we need to go ahead and make sure we film this. So I think I remember at one point reading that they actually filmed edge of tomorrow in sequential order. Maybe, maybe I'm dreaming that to keep it as cohesive as possible because to, to shoot that out of order. Oh my gosh, that would be insane. I think. Yeah, that would be very, very difficult. And I, I love your one word takeaway. I, I really do. So we can just sit here and, you know, praise each other because <laughs> the other option that I would have gone with if it wasn't resolve or resolute was going to be something revolving around propulsion and the way that the story just kind of drives you forward. Like you were saying, um, and I, and I agree a hundred percent with your video game analogy. I remember when it came out and that was the thing that everybody was talking about. It's like playing a cutscene, you know, or, or an interactive cutscene, essentially mm -hmm. like from a God of war game where you're button mashing. And if you don't button mash, right then you have to start it all over again. And that's what this feels like, right? Trying to learn the patterns and get things right. One of my favorite moments of this actually was the strategizing scene where there's literally a playbook being made. They're, they're drawing it out like they're doing a football play, right? For like how they're going to take the beach. It's so cool because you're like, well, eventually, yes, you're going to get to that point where you realize, okay, we've tried to go at it and just, randomly get through it we've tried to memorize it none of this is working we need to like strategically plan this out and this happens to me in video games all the time when you know when it's not a randomized game and you know where the enemies are going to come from if you die enough times you're prepared and so now you're aiming and you're taking out something on the right with two shots because you know it's there and you know where to aim you know when it's coming around the corner and you know to immediately go to your left because this other thing is going to come jumping out at you. And that's exactly how this movie goes forward. So to me, it is one of the best video game movies, even though it's not a video game movie, because it gives me that feeling. And you may have at least in part answered the first question I wanted to ask, which is, We've seen, you and I, and most people have seen a ton of time travel-based based movies. It's one of the epitomes of good sci-fi is when you can time travel. If I can, if I can pick any sci-fi element, time travel is probably going to be the one that I gravitate towards. And, and there are plenty of them out there, and, and definitely a few here and there that deal with time loops specifically. But what is it about Edge of Tomorrow for you that stands out from, from other time travel sci-fi movies well i mean obviously the video game aspect mm -hmm. of it does but i think what makes this one so compelling is first of all the character of major cage is it major i think he's a major um and it's tom cruise's performance in this because you hit on it earlier he starts off as this marketing pr guy right who is a weakling who says, I can't stand the sight of blood and is doing everything he can to get out of being on the battlefield. Yet he's wearing a uniform. He's a soldier. And I relate to this because I know these people. I have seen these people in my time in the military. Officers 
generally, who are higher ranking and don't want to get their hands dirty, right? Because that's not what they've been told their job is going to be. Um, And so I watch him go through this transition and it's a really, really good one. Um, I think that he makes it interesting because of his PR background. I don't know if that was intentional by the original writer or not, but I feel like it had to be because you, by giving him this marketing background, you create a character that is a natural smooth talker and spin artist by trade. So when he's replaying these scenes over and over, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. He's picking up details and learning details and he's trying to get to the point as fast as possible because you have a finite amount of time. So when he's having conversations with, you know, Bill Paxton's character, it's like, okay, let's, how can we quickly fast forward where we're at in this reasoning cycle? And he's able to do that because of his background as a PR guy, right? So let's say he was, um, I don't know, a welding technician. That wouldn't happen as fast. And he might not be able to ever convince them, right? But because he has this background, his talents serve him extremely well during those multiple rebirths. And I just love how he is in this whole story, man. I feel like he sells it. His charisma is off the charts when it needs to be. Um, I buy him when he's weak, like you were talking about. I mean, as much as I can. There's there's a, a level of movie starness that I think Tom Cruise has that it's it's incredibly difficult to believe that he's like helpless. <laughs> But he does a very good job of it. He does. And I think even if he doesn't sell it, I think he sells the idea of a character that does it. And what I mean by that is his charisma as an actor and being in so many movies that he's not that guy, it makes it more entertaining. And so the, the punchlines, the, the, the physical comedy that exists when he's training, particularly like the scene where he's doing pushups and he rolls over and gets splattened by the truck. We don't see it. We hear it. We know what happens. It's stuff like that because that, that I enjoy because of the fact that Tom Cruise would never do that. He would get it on the first time. In fact, he probably wouldn't need this many time loops to accomplish his mission because he's Tom Cruise, man. So I think that that's the irony of it in putting a guy who you know is is historically one way in a role where he has to start out completely opposite of that. When he finally gets to that place where he's able to just blindly just shoot these mimics because he knows where they are, it almost feels normal because it's like, oh yeah, that's Tom Cruise. But it feels like more of a payoff because of the fact that we've we've enjoyed him as a goof. We've enjoyed him as someone who doesn't have that confidence. It's not that he... I feel less... I feel less entertained by the fact that he doesn't sell it as much and more by the fact that it's funny when he tries to sell it. Absolutely. So it's not, it's not that I, I don't believe him when he does it as an actor because I know him that well, but I like what I have. I like what I get when I see him that way. So that's kind of what I was getting around to. Yeah. And, he, and, and the thing is to me, he hits every aspect of this character along the way and he does it at a high level. Yeah. So he nails the weakling character who's a coward and doesn't want to be on the battlefield. And then he nails the transition into a strong character who is – there's an awesome scene. One of my favorite moments in the action scenes is where he's on the beach, and I don't remember which loop it is obviously. <laughs> but he's gone through several cycles now, and he's trying to save Rita, and he reaches down to her. And then his little gun just pops up to the left and zaps an incoming um, – Mimic because, because again, like video game, like he's memorized the cycle. So he knows it's coming and he, his face never even looks to the left. Like he just is focused and he's so he's learned. And so I love how he gets that. And then the other thing I love about his performance, man, is to me, one of the biggest aspects of this film is the idea of not being remembered. And I Mm. feel like he really captures that. Well, that pain of, going through the loop and walking in and it's brief. It's so subtle. And this, this goes to Doug Lyman's direction as well. Honestly, the way that he'll walk in to see Rita for the first time when it's not really the first time, it's like the 15th time. And you can see it for a moment on his face, the longing to have her remember him like, and not have to go through all of this again. He's, 
Man, you know, this is right up there with, we're going to talk about our top five Tom Cruise performances on bonus content for our patrons after this episode. And, you know, this is a contender. He's really, really good in it. So you said something that I just candidly have just now kind of sparked in my head. This is like, this is like a passenger's moment. Okay. Where I I look at what you just said, and it reminds me a lot of the relationship that maybe a son or a daughter has with a parent who is dealing with, um, like an, an, an ailing disease as an older person where they can't remember where they have short term memory loss. And you walk into a room and you're, you're saying, Hey dad, it's me. That kind of, that kind of loss where that person is right there and you've had history with them and you have connection with them to feel that kind of not animosity, but that, that just pain and that sorrow because of the fact that that history has gone. It, it died with you and it died with her or it died with that person. And I, and I think that this movie is trying to hint at that of like, what does it mean to be connected to someone who knows who you are? Not just being remembered, but being experienced and being part of a relationship. And, uh, and, and you're right. He absolutely sells it. Um, I think the other thing that I like about this movie that stands out to me is the way in which everything is cut together. And I think, this movie lives and dies on the editing floor, like how they move from one scene to the next. It's, we get so much information that's inferred based on how people are talking to one another. There's a particular scene where, where cage is basically spouting off information about every one of J squad. It's like, you do this and you go by this and all this information that we never had. But what that tells us is that he's done this so many times that he's gleaned this information and more and more as the movie goes on, we get more of that information without any kind of overblown exposition. And I think that it's really important because when you're visually experiencing some of the same things over and over again, as an audience, you could get bored. Like in the intro, I was, I thought about looping one more time and I thought, no, that's going to be too much. Our audience is going to get really annoyed with me. And I think from a filmmaking standpoint, you got to have restraint when it comes to that. And I think the editing in this kind of gives it that restraint. Yeah, hundred percent, man. That was another thing I would have mentioned myself too. Is that because it's really fantastic here, and and I love what you said. The movie hinges on it because of this storytelling method. If this didn't hold up, if we didn't buy the way that we transitioned between days and loops, it, the whole movie falls apart. Everything it just it just it doesn't work. And so, I love that it's revealed slowly when days have passed and there are different ways in which they accomplish that task. So sometimes you don't know that we've reset until a piece of dialogue occurs and you realize, Oh, he's starting over. Um, You know, sometimes it's very, very blatant and he wakes up. That's what happens most of the time. But you know, when we're in the middle of the training cycle and such, some of those resets, you don't necessarily know um, specifically when they're on the beach, you don't you don't know how many have passed in between until a piece of dialogue occurs. And because we have been set to believe that we're experiencing every single cycle, it's a it's a surprise and a reveal. And it's just really fantastically edited, I think. Um, that scene, you know, where it cuts to them in a car speeding away, that's obviously another attempt. So it's right after they come out of the building where the general is. And they've got, he's said yes, and they walk out, and it's an ambush. And they put their guns out to, like, fight. And the next thing you see is them speeding around a corner in a car, and it's where the wreck happens. But obviously that didn't happen in that moment because they're coming out of a garage. And previously they were standing on the steps surrounded by enemies. So what we, what we learn, we're trusted as an audience. We're smart enough to know, okay, obviously this was an ambush. They pulled their guns out to fight and they got killed. So now they try it again. And this time they're going to try to use a getaway car and get out. And I just, I think it's absolutely brilliant. The thing about all that, that, that I like is the, that word you use trust. They trust us as an Lyman and company trust us as an audience. And I think it comes from the fact that you have to set up rules in the world of sci-fi and the world of time travel. This is where I think a lot of your fun Reddit conversations come from is Rules are set up in movies like this, and those rules 
live and die by whether or not they're broken. And that's what, that's when you get the conspiracy theories by the end of movies like this, like, Hey, wait, what about this? How come this didn't happen? How come the Omega is still, isn't still alive even after he got really great questions. And I love seeing the explanations that are, you know, floating around the internet, but having those rules in place, give us the ability to have that discernment and know when a shift has taken place or when a new day has started. And it almost, I don't want to say it makes the editing lazy. I don't think it does at all, but I think it it forgives it in some ways. Because if you have this if you have this footage of them running around a corner that you're like, "Hey, we can't use this." Wait, no, we can. Maybe we can make this another day where they're doing this. I don't think that happened, but that would probably be something I would do. It's like, "Let's use as much footage as we can." Absolutely. You know, the, the one other thing I would mention, you know, to answer your question of what makes this stand out is the script. You said it earlier, just in passing, you said something about how how humorful this was, how funny. This has perfect humor. And, and I don't mean that every joke is like a standout joke and makes you belly laugh. I mean, it is perfectly placed tonally throughout the film when it's needed to be there. When he meets Master Sergeant Farrell, I mean, Bill Paxton, I texted you immediately and I was like, rip Bill Paxton. And you said, oh, you're watching Edge of Tomorrow, huh? Because <laughs> you knew what was happening. And I like I love him in this kind of supporting role. The greatest, most funny line, you know, that you get is him asking Tom Cruise's character, Cage, asking him, you know, you're from a you're from America, you're American. And he's like, No, sir, I'm from Kentucky. And and like having lived in the South, right? Being from Arkansas, you living in Arkansas, we understand that that's a very understandable response right. from right. someone that lives in the South. And I think that the whole script just across this film is really really well done and and part of it because of that trusting us and and letting things be revealed subtly through conversation and not having to show us everything in a way that is piece by piece by piece in order yeah there's a there's a tone in this movie that reminds me a lot of a mashup between something like district 9 and guardians of the galaxy where you have a lot of action set pieces you have some really cool sci-fi tech but there are significant moments that stand out emotionally. And of course we at feel in film, we gravitate towards that. We love when something connects with us on an emotional level. And so I wanted to ask you, did you have any standout <coughs> connecting point moments that, uh, that maybe you could, uh, you could talk to? Uh, well, we don't have a connecting point in our mini shows, Patrick, but I have okay. a connecting point anyway. So <laughs> forget those stupid rules. Uh, rules are meant to be broken. Dadgummit. Right. Even uh, rules. You know, there is a love story in this and it is incredibly again well done because it is not in your face it is not the primary story it is a subplot of the of the movie and it is a natural feeling subplot how could you not fall in love with someone that you spent every single day of your life with for hundreds of days however long it took to go through this process like i feel like it's human nature for cage to become so attached to Rita. And I love that the film makes it harder for her to become attached to him. She says something at the end. that's fantastic, man. She says, I wish I'd had more time to get to know you. That line is a stinger because he has spent hundreds of days getting to know her. She spent two days getting to know him. And that like when you think about that, when you actually step back and you you kind of separate the level of knowledge they have and how that emotionally can work for them, it's pretty pretty cool. Um, I you know I think my CP would be the scene in the barn. Um, it is incredibly moving. You know something is up because of the way that Cage is asking. He's talking about coffee and like he just seems very relaxed for them to be in the midst of trying to finally get to the Omega. And with that wonderful script and the, and the great revealing of things subtly, you slowly begin to realize, oh, we've done this before. This is not the first time we're getting to the barn. And if they go on to go and kill the Omega, she dies. And he it reminded me of him as Ethan Hunt. We just watched Fallout, and this was the big thing. As that character, it's the same here. He can't sacrifice one to save all or the millions. Same concept is in play. 
And so I think it's an awesome narrative choice that he makes by trying to go at it alone after that in order to save her by not letting her come be part of it. Like he wants to just push her aside and he, he does that out of love uh, because he has come to love her at that point and value her life obviously more than his. Um, and I just, I think it's really, really touching and, and it's, I just think it's so well done, man. It is, like I said, subtle. It is not in your face. It's not the movie's about, but it's there. And because of that, it works better than it would if this movie tried to push a love story on you from the beginning. I agree. And I think that that scene only works well for me because of what happens after that. When he makes a choice to go at it alone, when he walks, we've been with him for days and days and days he walks into the combat room and he looks at her and he just walks away because he says, look, I can't afford to lose you. I'm connected to you on this level. And literally in that moment, he's never met her or she's never met him. And so he chooses to go it alone. And it's interesting because that's really the end of act two. When we find out that the Omega is not where it's supposed to be. And so he ends up needing her anyway. I mean, they work better to along with J squad. And that's what I really enjoy is the fact that it wasn't, it could have ended with his journey being just solo, but I'm glad that that was really just the catapult into act three, where it wasn't just her that needed to be on his team, but going back to mission impossible, he needed a full team of people to be that, to be that team. And I, I maybe, maybe Lyman had that in mind when he came up with this story and why he cast uh, Tom Cruise is he was like, we're going to bring out the Ethan hunt in you. I, I don't know. I, I, that'd be kind of cool if it did, but. Or maybe it's a writing connection because McQuarrie wrote this movie or co-wrote this That's film true. and That's then true. later used that or, you know, carried on that aspect of Ethan from his mission impossible three film into the way that he did five and six. Right. Exactly. Um, so anything else emotionally that you connected with? I think that's the big one for, for both of us. Yeah, I think just briefly, I would say also J-Squad. Um, you know, they're there mostly as comic relief or just as a means to getting crews through the situation. They show up at the end kind of to do something. But the part that stood out to me the most about them is it quickly and subtly rounds them out when he's telling them everything he knows about their lives and specifically, we get fast amount of information, enough to connect to them so that when they pass away or they die for real, that it actually resonates a little bit. Uh, I can't remember the character's name, but there's the one kid who has enlisted in his friend's place specifically. And so when he dies, to me, it matters more now because of this quick piece of dialogue where Cruz is telling us about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think J-Squad represents almost like the Suicide Squad in, in some ways, just because they all have this really great personality. And by the end of the film, when they come to help him, it feels genuine. And there's a great moment, I think, with one of the guys, I don't remember his name, but he's like, why should we trust him? And But they end up doing it anyway. And he because he goes, well, don't trust me, trust her. And awesome man, awesome Emily scene. Blunt, I mean, come Dude, on. She's fantastic. Because she I... is fantastic. And I was so surprised to forget and then remember that she was in this movie when I when I queued it up. Because I was like, I've seen A Quiet Place. I know where she gets her badassery. It's from this right here. You know, it's funny. I think she may be my favorite actress. You know, I have my like, quote unquote, hot list where, you know, these are the actresses that I find the most attractive. And so I'm drawn to them because of that. But like from a talent standpoint, I love watching her performances. And I don't always think her movies are like five star movies. But we talk about A Quiet Place or Into the Woods, her mm -hmm. performance in that. I just I love her in everything, everything she's in. I think she's like the best part of it. You know what I mean? Does, so, she, does she live above Blake Lively? Um, I mean, as far as talent goes, yes. Okay. Probably so. I would okay. definitely say, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, she's not the most talented actress out there. I, Jessica Chastain's probably up there mm -hmm. really, really high for me. But I'm just saying that Emily Blunt is very high for me. Um, she is one that I gravitate toward, and I will watch anything because she is in it. 
Yeah, she's got some good star power. Equally it's as awesome. Much- it's awesome here seeing her like as a as a badass. Like she's yeah. an action hero, right? Man, when that first couple times on the beach when she is wrecking stuff, mm-hmm. like <laughs> it's amazing. It really is. And and she sells it too. I think that we're told early on that she is the person you don't want to mess with. And she's given that clever nickname because of that. I mean, she does not mess around. She's got history and we don't know too much about it, even by the time the the movie ends. But I think that's what gives her layers is that we infer what her motives are. She never seems to have a moment where she can breathe or she can relax. And I think that we get a little bit of that reprieve at the very end where she's you've got all these people when um when Tom Cruise walks in and everybody's like saluting him and standing up straight and he walks into that combat room and she's doing that I forget what it's called but that really crazy yoga maneuver and she goes basically what do you want like she has no just respect for him he's just another guy and I I don't think that's a lack of respect I think that's the wrong word I used but I think it's really more of a sense of she's confident in who she is and this guy is just another soldier to her. You know, it doesn't really matter what his rank is. She has lived enough to know that she's confident in her own skin, that she can be who she is because of the history that she has. She's also shows her acting prowess when, when she realizes it, the look on her face to me is just awesome. Like the way that you can see her go in her mind from thinking he's just some random dude to he's got the same thing. Like understanding that he has the same thing. Mm -hmm. I love that light bulb moment. I think she's does it perfectly. I think so too. Well, let's talk about the aliens here. I think this was probably if, if Cruz and Blount were first and second, the, the third place finisher for outstanding performance is the mimics. (laughs) I was incredibly surprised at how much I loved the design of these alien creatures. And again, I'd forgotten how cool they were. Uh, we have a lot of alien movies that have come out in the last 15, 20 years. And I'm not going to say that things are repetitive, but sometimes they just get overly gross. Sometimes they get overthought. Um, there are definitely a few exceptions. But the mimics in this and the way in which they were designed, I, I feel like they were designed in with a cool factor, but also with a purpose in mind. And to me, there's something about these creatures that comes across as not just terrifying, but intimidating. I think it's because of the way they move, because of the fact that they can burrow in the grounds and just pop up at any given moment, like a like a mole, like a like a trimmer, you know, or uh, like from trimmers, or that they can just outright just attack you. And I feel like just having this world where these aliens exist is, in and of itself, incredibly intimidating. Yeah, no, there's no surprise at all that we've been wiped out by these things, and that's. Like job number one, right, of the aliens is if we're going to create a species that has dominated the Earth, it needs to either have a technology like Independence Day that they can use from the sky that wipes us out without us being able to combat it. Or they need to be physically imposing in some manner that we realize we have no chance. And when these things are whipping around, uh, spinning and shooting those tentacles at like – it is just one of the most cool things I've ever seen. I, I don't know. It really, really stuck out to me this time, Patrick. Like, it, it is way up there. If we were if we were going back in time now, honestly, and doing our top five aliens again, this very possibly could be on my list because I just love them. I, I love how the face is not completely, like, uh, what's the word? It's not, like, tangible. It's not a, It's not formed. It's almost like it's hovering in the blackness somewhat and it's a little bit highlighted and man when they scream it looks like that scene from indiana jones where it's going to steal your soul and suck it out like it is (laughs) it is terrifying and in an awesome way and to be able to balance really cool with scary is a very hard thing to do yeah um so yeah man i i love it i love and i love the idea right of the powers i think all of the action I think all of the visuals in this film are good. I love the storm in the beach stuff and, and the scenes when they're in the sky flying around. And I mean, I think from 
a visual standpoint in general, this film is eye candy to me. It is. And I think that there's a, there's a great balance of sci-fi and war film in this. I mean, in a lot of ways, and I think this was by design, that attack that kept getting repeated reminds us a lot of the Normandy invasion. And, and it's supposed to, because it's supposed to connect us boots on the ground. And then you combine that with this imposing force that from the very beginning, you're just, it's, you're just desperate. It's not going to happen. We're not going to win this. So you've set us up as an audience by telling us this is a race that cannot be beaten unless something weird happens. And that weird thing happens the moment that, that cage gets bloodied up, he gets burned and, and melted by the, the alpha's blood. And then the time resets. I actually think that's one of my favorite moments is when he first resets because you're like, wait a minute, what just happened here? And I'll confess this. The first time I watched this, I watched it blind. I didn't know anything about it. Oh, that would have been fun. It was fun. And I distinctly remember going, wait, what just happened here? I'm like, is this a time travel movie? Oh, I love time travel. And so it immediately shot up and the rest of the movie just got elevated because of that. You're like, did Tom Cruise just die in the first 15 minutes of a movie? Oh my gosh, what a great surprise. (laughs) And and so we have these creatures. and, And particularly we have these two distinct creatures, the alpha and the Omega. And I was trying to be the smart guy and trying to find some, some subtext there. And uh, so I'll ask the obvious question is, did you pick up any significance from the meaning of those two uh, names there? I think, I think it's unfair that you asked this question since you already know my answer to this because we <laughs> talked about it offline. And you know that I'm going to now embarrass myself by telling the listeners that I actually didn't pick up on it at all. And I've seen this film five, six times and read the book you know, previously. And it never hit me that they were the alphas and the omega mm-hmm. and that there might be a significance to that. I, yeah. I, I feel stupid for not having figured out that connection. Um, I'm really curious, though, what you discerned from that. If it was more than just referential for you, is, do you think there is something to that? Well, I don't think there's anything biblical, if that's what you're asking. I mean, I'm not going to go that far. That was number but, one question, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it, no. I think for me, what you have is the, the idea of a time loop, that it starts with the alpha and then it ends with the omega. That's kind, of the, that's kind of the theory that I've come up with, is that the alpha, once you have the alpha's blood, you can reset time. And so the moment that you get that blood, you can have the ability to reset. And then killing the omega, the end, essentially stops the time loop because – the Omega controls the time. Is that, is that right? Does it, it controls the resets. Contro- Essentially, that- yeah, it controls the resets. Correct. But via knowledge given by learning what the alpha is. Exactly. But it needs the alpha. And in this case, cage who has the alphas kind of power in him to control those resets. So the alpha to me represents the beginning of those loops and the beginning of that knowledge. Whereas the Omega and it's fitting end being the the end of that. I think it's it's very it's a very loose connection, but I think there's purpose behind the alpha and the omega being the beginning and the end. And I think they represent this idea of a loop having a beginning and an end and how it just continues to cycle through. And that's the power of these aliens is the ability to cycle that way. I buy it. I think it's that simple. And I agree with you because I'm not smart enough to think of anything better. So, oh, okay. So we can you, both agree that it was a good idea. Yeah. You know, one thing I do have questions about, though, is with regards to Cage waking up over and over, is he rested? I have re- weird questions about time travel. Like every time he wakes up, it's a jolt. He seems, you know, shocked, except maybe once or twice toward the end of the resets where he almost looks weary. And I wondered, you know, he's going through this hundreds of times over and over, like physically, is his physiology changed? Um, does he have a certain amount of energy to get him through this next two day period? Because he never sleeps. He just resets. I just found that quite interesting. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good question to ask. I think, I think he does. I think everything about him resets with the exception of his brain, which is controlled by the blood of the alpha. Fair enough. And his ability to control that. But I think his physiology, his biology, um, he has the energy that he had that moment of, uh, of, of when he wakes up that first time. Okay. So, well, let's talk a little bit about the ending. Okay. I, I was scouring the, the internet looking at um, just some, some topic questions and I found a lot of discussion about what's up with that ending. 
Right. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you what you thought. What, what, what did you think of the ending? Did you like it? Do you feel like it wrapped up too cleanly? Did it make sense? I might disappoint you. Um, because my takeaway from this film is less big and philosophical mm-hmm. sci-fi like a 2001 or a primer type of thing. And it's more of from an entertainment standpoint, mm-hmm. the one thing I don't like about this film occurs toward the end. And that's the final battle at the dam. I didn't love it. I felt like compared to the beach that we see assault over and over and over, it just was really, really lacking. And part of that is my problem with darkness I have been noticing over and over now in movies recently that when they are set in an incredibly dark scene in general, like it's harder for me to pick things up. And I just, I just don't connect as well, frankly. And I understand the choice narratively, et cetera, but I wasn't able to fall in love with the whole thing about the ending. It was dark. It was chaotic. Now, the aspects of the story with what happens to Rita and what happens to cage, her sacrificing herself, him going and the, the actual visual of him diving into the tank and heading down when it reveals the huge Omega, like that scene could be my desktop background wallpaper. Like it is beautiful scene that blue water you know what i'm talking about and then yeah it's the omega is what it is oh my gosh i did that i did it i did it it's a mini so i can do stuff like that (laughs) it is and then you know and then the action of what takes place and how he ends up completing the kill i think is awesome and really wonderfully done now to the philosophical side so i enjoyed most of the ending and the way it wraps up It is very confusing. It puts him back what seems to be a day earlier. And I took it as just kind of, originally I took it as just another, like we're just moving forward. He's changed history. Everything is fine. But I read some analysis online that has me a little bit with a different opinion of that. You know, Now I'm seeing it more of potentially the Omega has learned and allowed us to reset the day backwards one day to where Cage never is going to get sent. So we've been allowed essentially to win another battle because it's going to set us up so that it can win later. Like that's how I feel. And maybe that's partially because I have foreknowledge that there is a part two of this movie coming and there's got to be a way to tie it in. So I could be projecting some of that, but it's fascinating to think about if this is just another reset and it's all part of the Omega's plan. I I like thinking about it like that. I enjoy it better. Well, I like thinking about that, but without the sequel, (laughs) it's, it's, it works for me in fan theory, but not as part of a plausible, Hey, let's see how that fleshes out. And I personally think that's what we got with Pacific Rim uprising is we got the, wish list of fans of like we need more of this and let's see what happens if we do that and for a movie that plays a lot with what if scenarios i think that's probably the my least favorite what if scenarios what if we make a movie that fleshes out this idea because i think the idea in and of itself is pretty great but to translate it onto the big screen i think it kind of diminishes the value and my enjoyment of what this would be so I I like the ending. I think it was fine. I think the fact that it was a equally as much a character driven story as it was just an action film, that last scene where cage walks in and, and Rita's just giving him lip like she always does. And that grin that he makes right before the credits. Well, I think it's just a perfect little exclamation point on the, uh, on, on the movie because it doesn't wrap up nicely for me. If it wrapped up nicely, the guy would get the girl and they'd live happily ever after. In this case, <laughs> she doesn't know him. He has this history with her, but rather than being regretful and saying, man, I wish I could share this with you. He's got a victory in his head and his mind and his heart. And he's got this good history, this good conclusion, as opposed to seeing her die 
yeah. and he can walk away feeling satisfied and that satisfied me. Right. And he has a second chance too, um, with her, you know, that, that yeah. people don't get in real life. Like, True. so that's, that's a good thing. And I do, I like the ending. I mean, I, yeah. I enjoy the way the film wraps up. It, it has my, you know, energy up and going. <laughs> Doesn't leave me upset. Well, the, the movie definitely invites us to consider those bigger questions. Um, and why don't we just take a couple of minutes and kind of get personal if you want to. <laughs> so one of the questions that, that it asks is what would we change if we had a chance to live a day over and over again? Uh, what kind of skills would we learn to carry them forward with us versus uh, what we could only learn in just one day? Is there anything that stands out to you? Well, I mean, I don't know that I want to answer these honestly. Okay. Well to know. <laughs> Superpowers. That's cool. We can just go um, with that. You know, no, I don't think so. I think it's much more simplistic than that. Like things like resetting the day so that when I go to work this morning, my stapler and my tape dispenser and my staple remover aren't missing and unable to be found. Um, I would use it for little things like that. Mm-hmm. No, there are definitely big things. And, and I tried to think about this when I was watching the movie outside of just resetting death you know um and maybe outside of resetting romantic interests that have gone wrong because that's that's a huge reset like there's a lot of time you've got to replay to lead up to doing that differently yeah but it is fun to think about i guess and and more so in those little moments like what if i made a poor choice today spending and tomorrow it affects me negatively. Like what happens if I fixed all of that sequence of events? You know, where does it put me going forward? And honestly, for me, the more compelling question was really the one about skills. And that's why I wrote that in the notes to ask is because I loved seeing Cage gain these abilities over time. And it wasn't something that he naturally had. And I would love to be able to do that without wasting time. We have this conversation, a group of friends and I quite often, like what would we do if we got an extra six hours and we just hypothesize, like what would you spend that time on if it's just an extra six hours in the day, but it doesn't count, right? Like time stops and you get to do something in that time, but you get to keep the knowledge of it or keep the ability. Like I'd be a Rocket League professional and esports competitor because I would be so good at Rocket League. I would have all this practice time that other people couldn't couldn't achieve and, you know, random stuff like that. But all of these things that cost us time in our lives, what would we do if we didn't have to spend that time technically to actually achieve it? You know, and it's just it's it's awesome to think about to me. I think so, too. And I think you mentioned expanding time instead of I think of it in terms of expanding time instead of resetting days. So the knowledge that you get in building relationships, that's probably the toughest thing because building relationships, this film really kind of amplifies that, or at least it spotlights it where you're never given a chance to build a relationship. You're given a chance to learn maybe how one works or what makes a person tick, but you never have the ability to expand on that relationship no matter how much time you have. So I kind of like the tension that it offers up in saying, yeah, you had the ability to learn how to fight alien creatures, but you've still only got two-day history with this woman that you've fallen in love with. And so it can be such a blessing and a curse. Death aside, if you had the ability to just start over and start over and start over, um, something that time teaches us is that it will reset itself. Like, what will be, will be. Um, what has been, will continue to be. I can't remember what the Battlestar Galactica <laughs> phrase is. Um, I've seen Final ha- Destination. I yeah. It, works. it happened before. <laughs> everything has happened before and everything will happen everything again. will happen again. And it's a common theme in sci-fi and in time travel. And I think that it speaks to how, as human beings, things will re- reset themselves. Things will, the, the world will right itself. So if we're living on this edge of, of like luckiness that some at some point we're not going to be lucky. And I think I'm probably overthinking this. I really am. But if I'm going to play around in that world, I would definitely become a better professional at something, whether it's 
filmmaking or cooking or photography or something just because I'd want to spend more time doing that. I'm an independent guy by nature and that's kind of a challenge in, in my marriage is because I'm trying to balance that time with my family. So if I had that opportunity, those extra six hours a day or that extra day to say, okay, on this reset day, I'm going to go do this for you know 18 hours. I'm going to skip work all day and go do these things. That to me would be the benefit for for that. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that's a great usage of it. So if you ever get that power, just make sure you share it with me. I'll take, I'll a, I'll take a blood transfusion. Uh, you know, we'll just kind of, you know, yeah, we'll do that. Well, man, thanks for this conversation. This was a lot of fun. Uh, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed it. Again, thanks for waiting for this one. Sorry, it was a little late, but it's here. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to it. If you want to connect with us or talk more about this movie or any other movie that we've covered, uh, you can find me specifically at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm at Facebook and Twitter. You can find me there. Also, um, if you are part of our Patreon community, you should be seeing our bonus content in your feed as well, where we have covered our top five Tom Cruise performances. If you're not part of that, you can jump on by uh, checking out patreon.com slash Feeling film for as little as $2 a month. You can enjoy that bonus content as well. So check it out, subscribe, be a part of the community and help us out a little bit. Speaking of that community, uh, we have an awesome and growing Facebook group where film fans are talking every day, all day long about movies and other entertainment. Uh, it's a great place for conversation. We'd love to have you come be a part of that. You can find links to that in the show notes and on our website or just search it up in Facebook itself and you can find it. You'll have to answer a couple quick questions just so we can verify that you are not a bot. And then we will approve you quickly and let you come be part of the group. Uh, if you'd like to interact with me, you can do so in that group or you can do so on Twitter at Aaron or using the show's tag at Film. Next up, we have our next episode in our August Director Battle Month as chosen by our patrons, not patrons, as chosen by our Facebook group, and that is going to be the Akira Kurosawa classic, Seven Samurai. So be sure to tune in to see how Patrick and I handle our first three and a half hour long black and white foreign film. It's going to be interesting to say. It'll be least. epic. That'll be, <laughs> that's going to be the fact. It will be epic. And um, I'm, I'm curious to see how it'll turn out. <laughs> well, what it will be is positive. Because yes. just like we encourage everybody else to do, we like to practice that as well. And so, listeners, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.